As you as we continue in worship, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we do declare that you are our creator. You are the giver of all good things. You're the creator of all things. You formed us together. You know us better than we could ever know ourselves. And you have sovereignly placed us in this moment in in history and in time and in our places, um, God, by your design. Nothing Nothing is by accident, God. And we realize that we are a a blip, we are a mist, we are a vapor here on this earth, and yet you are mindful of us and you know us. So God, as we worship you this morning, I pray that our, our gifts of worship, our offerings of worship would be done in faith and would be pleasing to you. And Lord, as your people here, I pray um, I pray for where you have placed us in our home and in this country that is our temporary home here while we are on earth. God, we pray for our country and we lift it up and we pray, God, that, that many would turn to know you. God, we pray that for the witness of, of the church here in this country, that we would be a, a city on a hill and that people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We pray, God, that you would relieve um, suffering in our land, and in the world. We pray, God, on this day when we celebrate our our country's independence and that we would use the freedoms that we have to glorify you, to to love you, and to love our neighbor, that we would be grateful and we'd be filled with thanksgiving for these gifts that have come from you through, through this country. God, let us not take those things for granted and let us not be complacent. And God, let us not turn those things into idols, but yet use them and and be grateful as gifts and to use them to bring you glory. We pray, God, for our local area here and our neighbors, God, that you would awaken hearts to you, that you would give us opportunities to declare your goodness. And God, I pray for this church family gathered here this morning, that we would worship you fully and that we would turn our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word and that through the Holy Spirit we would be convicted of sin in our lives and that we would find forgiveness in you and that we would be encouraged and equipped and empowered to walk in the way that you have called us to walk. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter, or Psalm 1. If you've been joining with us on the the reading plan, you know that we've been reading through the New Testament this year, but then also through Psalms twice. And so if you've been following along, you know that this past week we started over and we are in Psalm 1 again. And so I thought this is a good time to uh, deal with Psalm 1 because um, Psalm 1 is kind of, it's more of a, it's an introduction to all the Psalms and, and really ends up being an introduction to the Word of God. It is, it is this wisdom literature, it begins often with the instructions of how we are to approach it. And that's, that's what happens here. And so what I want to do is I just want to look through Psalm 1 and see how is this both, how does this help us in approaching God's word. Because if you've been on the reading plane at all, or if you've ever been on a reading plane, or you've been trying to read the Bible, so many people say, you know, I try, but I just, I don't know, 
I, I don't know how to get everything out of it. I, I don't feel like I understand what it's saying. I don't, it, always, it doesn't always connect with me. And so we feel a little bit um, kind of hopeless with it. And so what so many of us do is we end up kind of just resorting to a, um, uh, just kind of checking it off the list. And I, I got it. I got the chapter done. I read it. Um, maybe looking for another resource, some article or a sermon about that passage that can help us figure out what it means. And so what I want to do today is just kind of see how Psalm 1 actually gives us some really strong um, tools and helps in how we can engage in Scripture. Like the reality is that when you have the Word of God and you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then you can, you can glean incredible things and the Word can bring about all of its fruit in your life. And so we want to help in that. And, and I want to just kind of tell you where I'm going so that, you know, because I know it's, I know it's hot and so I know you're going to be like in and out. And so I'm just going to give you these anchor pieces that we'll see in Psalm 1. And it's a paradigm that we've used a lot here. And I, I stole it from the Puritans from several hundred years ago. And it's this simple illustration of head, heart, and hands. Okay, how many of you have ever heard that phrase before? Hopefully, if you've been here for a while, hopefully you're like, oh yeah, it sounds kind of familiar. But head, we're looking at scripture through this lens of, of my head. Like, what do, I, what do I need to know about this? What does this say about who God is or his character? Is there a promise that's given here? Like, what do I need to understand? And then our hearts and saying like, why, why do I love this? Why is this good news? Why would this stir my affections for God? And then finally, our hands. How do I respond to it? How do I obey this? So when we look at Psalm 1, we're going to look through it through that lens. So the first thing is I'm reading it through. I want you to think about this, the headpiece, and listen for what, what, what am I supposed to understand? What can I learn about, um, about God in this? It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so right away, we're just looking. And one of the things when you're thinking about meditating on this and, and considering like what, what is it that I'm supposed to understand, we see a, a promise and we see a warning right off the bat, right? There's this warning of saying, like, don't, don't fill your heart and your mind with wicked things. Don't fill your mind with, with the counsel of the wicked. Don't fill your heart and, like, have a scoffing heart and sit with others that, that kind of um, just kind of pro- c- complain about things and are pessimistic about things and just want to poke holes in everything and mock others. Like, don't, don't sit in that seat with them. Don't, don't, don't give thought to those things. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't like go where they're going. Don't walk in that way. Don't put yourself in that place doing those things. And there's this warning. He's saying if you do that, then that is the way of the wicked. And the way of the wicked is one that leads to death. But he contrasts that. He says instead, instead, the man is blessed. This man is blessed 
those who who meditate on the word of the Lord, the law, which the law is just a synonym there for the word of God, that they meditate on it day and night, that they delight in it. And this is where so many of us stop and say, yeah, I got it. I read that psalm, and the thing that I get from that is we're supposed to read the Bible. And I got it. And if you grew up in a Baptist church or in a Bible church or some kind of evangelical church, and that has been pounded into you for years and years and years, like got to be in the Word, got to be in the Word, got to read the Bible every day. Except that's not what it says. It doesn't say read the Bible. See, the Bible is referred to as, as many different things in Scripture. It's, it's referred to as the Word of God, which you think about how powerful is the Word of God. That's how everything was created. Right? Jesus is the word of God. And so word is not just some small thing. Like that's a big thing. It's also referred to as bread, like our food. So it's like sustains our life. It's referred to as a sword. But one thing the Bible's never referred to as is reading material. Like it's not Reader's Digest. It's not just like a, just something to kind of grab and be like, all right, yeah, I like to, I like to kind of have my morning routine. I get, I get my coffee. Um, you know, I, I do a little bit of exercising. I get a little bit of the word in. Like I, I check that off my list. I read the newspaper and I kind of go on with my day. It doesn't say that. He talks about meditating on it day and night. That's all the time if you're keeping track there. Day and night. And let me ask you what, do you, what do you give that kind of mental energy to? What do you give that kind of mental energy to considering and mulling over and playing and replaying in your mind and imagining? Like, what do you do? What do you do that with? Or do you do that with, with your, with maybe with your hobbies or with your plans or this next purchase maybe that you're, that you're planning to make or this vacation that you're planning on taking or what life is going to look like when you're retired or maybe like what's, what's wrong with our country and how do we fix it? And I get so wrapped up in those things or maybe a relationship that I'm looking for or something that I think will fulfill me. And so we just kind of stew it over in our minds and we think like, okay, if I go about it this way and if I, if I do these things, then I'll, then I'll get this. Or, or maybe for you, it's that you just try to avoid all of those things. Like you do whatever you can to not ever have to think about anything like that. That you just do whatever you can to escape those kinds of deep thoughts because they're too, they're too painful, they're too scary. But whatever the case is, this passage is saying, blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God day and night. Church, we can't just say that we're people of the word. Like it, that doesn't count. Like last week we talked about it, just saying something doesn't make it true. We can't just say that we are people of the word and then pretend like that's, that's all there is. We have to actually be people of the word. Now, some of you are like me and you grew up in a different denomination, a different culture. I grew up in a, um, a denomination that didn't really, didn't really hold the, the Bible in too high of esteem or too high of regard. And what I learned is when I found pastors and, and people in that denomination who said, like, I really value the word of God. Like, I'm a, I'm a person of the word of God. I learned that they meant it because there was no culture that would have, you know, it didn't behoove them to, to say that if it wasn't true. Like, these are people that were really in the word. And one of the adjustments, just frankly, I had to make years ago when I kind of moved over and I, I was like, you know, I fit more in kind of the Baptist tradition theologically and, and in my views of scripture and everything. So I, I, I kind of switched over and I was, a, I was in a Baptist church. 
And one of the hard transitions for me was I learned that people saying that they valued the word didn't mean that they actually valued the word because it's what we're all taught to do. Right? Like if you grew up in this church, in, in, in the church, in the, a Bible teaching church, you grew up just saying that. Like the word of God is, is most important. The word of God is foundational. The word of God is true. Like I base my whole life on the word of God. But just saying it over and over again doesn't mean that we actually do it. Right? And so I had to kind of learn that just because someone could quote scripture doesn't mean that they valued it or loved it or lived by it. Just because someone said that they valued scripture doesn't mean that they did. And we need to be, we need to not settle for something less here in this valuing and this meditating on it and being consumed by it. We need to not settle for just being about biblical principles and values over actual scripture or about like just preaching the Bible and, and seeing that as the same level as the Bible or just quoting a devotion and saying, oh yeah, no, I spend all my time in the word. But really what I mean by that is I spend all my time in devotions and other studies of people talking about the word. I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm saying that they are, that the meditating on the word and how we are to approach the word is so much more than that. It's so much more. And so I would just say, like, we, we can't spend, and, and what this, part of what this Psalm 1 is talking about is, we can't spend 10 minutes reading the Bible and then 10 hours filling our mind and our hearts with all kinds of other things and believe that that word is going to bear fruit in our hearts the way that we want it to. Or to claim that we are people of the word. Meditating day and night keeps us from settling for surface understandings. It keeps us engaged and digging in. And the, and, and the psalmist here says, and it is our delight. It is the delight of this man who meditates day and night. That The word of God is, he delights in it. And what we see here is that it's not just about what goes on in our heads. It's not just about what we think about Scripture. It's about how we feel about Scripture. And we tend to get kind of nervous about that, of like our feelings, and like, well, I don't want to base things on my feelings. Like, look, your feelings were given to you by God. Like, emotions were given by God. They are meant to be redeemed and to glorify God. And so we are called to delight in the Word of God, to see it as good news, it's meant to capture our hearts. We're meant to love it. Not just to, to know it or to check it off on our list, but to love it. Like we, we, It's so hard for us to grasp all the time, but every command and every promise in Scripture, every trait of God is good news to those who belong to him and are called according to his purpose. Every single one. Everything that we look at that we say, oh man, that's so hard. It's actually good news if you belong to God through Jesus. And so they're meant to stir our affections for God. And so as you're approaching God's word, not only are we called to think about it and ponder it and consider what's going on here, but we're also called to ask the question of why, how is this good news? Why is this incredible? Why, why would this thing that I now understand or I see in Scripture, why would that stir my heart to love and delight in God more? He says the Word of God is our delight. And, and we've got to be honest, like it doesn't necessarily sound like a delight in this context. Like you may be sitting there thinking like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but look, I, I, can, barely, I can barely 
convince myself to read a full chapter of the Bible before my mind is wandering other places. And now you're saying I got to meditate on it day and night? Like that doesn't sound like good news. But it is. The question is, like, we have to ask ourselves the question, like, why does it sound like good news? So this is one of the things I do when I face scripture and I read something and I'm challenged by like saying, how is this good news to me? This seems really hard. I don't know how this is good news. And I kind of push on myself and say like, well, why do you think it's not good news? Like, why doesn't it sound like good news? And I think this whole meditating and being consumed in the word for a lot of us, we, it's because we approach reading the Bible like homework, Right, like, so God is, is, you know, Jesus is our teacher. He's our rabbi. We learn from him. And one of his big assignments is to read his textbook, right? And so now some of you, some of you like homework. How many of you in, in school kind of enjoyed homework? You enjoyed like when the teacher would say, hey, you got a big project and I want it presented really well. And you got to like laminate things and put like illustrations and graphs and things. I see a couple of you sheepishly smiling right now and you totally don't want to raise. It's okay. You're blocked by umbrellas. You could raise your hand and nobody notices. All right. So, um, so there were people who liked that. And so for some of you, the, but, but hang in here for a second. If you're that person, it's so easy then to just assume oh yeah, no, I love this because I dig into God's word and I am there and I could study it all day long and I love it. So, so this isn't like, I'm good here. But if you're that personality that just loves homework, loves like being able to demonstrate like to the teacher what you know and what you've got and what you understand, be careful. Ask yourself, are, are you delighting in the word? Right? Or are you delighting in your finishing of the homework assignment? Are you delighting in saying to God, hey, look how, look how much I love your word. Like, look, I, I, read, I read the entire Old Testament in like 90 days. Like, look what I did. I checked it off my list. I got it all done. I even journaled about it. I wrote all about it. So just be mindful. Are you delighting in what you're seeing in that and what that means about who God is and who you get to be? Or are you delighting in your works of showing it to him? Now then there are the rest of us who, who don't like homework. And when I said that, you're like going, no, not at all. We're going to call you normal people. Um, so like you, you don't like that. And so this feels like an assignment. It feels like a weight. And we don't like doing those assigned readings. And so we've just kind of moved that over to the Bible. And it just, it stirs things in us. Like, oh, I know I'm supposed to have a quiet time. I know I'm supposed to read. But like, ah, I'm just, I'm busy. I don't have time. And we end up looking for any excuse. And then we give God all of our excuses as to why we didn't do it. Just like we used to do to our teachers. I have a good reason why I didn't. But listen, we've got to confront that false belief in our mind and realize God is not a teacher who assigns a textbook. He has offered himself as the way to true and eternal and abundant life. And the way he has revealed that to us is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how do we even know any of that happened? Because of his word. It's because of his word. The creator of the universe, just consider for a moment, the creator of the universe has revealed himself to us. All the great things that we know about him, his kindness, his long suffering, his his great love for us, the incredible story of the gospel itself, of God becoming flesh and walking among us, of his calming storms, of his healing the blind, of his touching lepers, how he lived the life we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved and how he rose again on the third day and then told us that's 
same power that I rose with, I now give to you. How he is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And while he's away, he's preparing a place for us that one day we would be with him and inherit everything that he has ever, uh, that he has ever created. We will inherit all those things. And that place, it's something that no mind has conceived, no eye has seen. Like we can't, we can't even imagine what he is doing. And now in that time, he is with us in the form of the Holy Spirit, working in us moment by moment, day by day, forming us into the image of Jesus. Jesus patiently and lovingly. And we know all of these incredible things because of his word. Because it says so. And as we experience it, we read about it in scripture and say, oh, I see this in my life. I see what he means by this. How could that not be our delight? How could we not look at this and say, oh, this is, this is not homework. This is a gift. This is a way to life everlasting and to abundant life and to intimacy with my Father in heaven. And the enemy is constantly telling us it's a chore, it's homework. Can't possibly understand all this. Those things are lies. And and the psalmist here says that the one who delights in it, that he is blessed. And look at what this blessing is. Look at the promises that God gives in here. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And says the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. He says those who meditate on it day and night and, and love it and delight in it, they're like trees. The strength of a tree planted by streams of water, not like chaff blown away. People truly rooted in God's word aren't carried carried away by whatever's happening in the culture. Whatever storms are blowing from whatever direction, whether from the left or from the right, like it doesn't matter because those who are rooted and meditating on God's word day and night are like trees planted, rooted, bearing fruit no matter what the circumstances are around them. Otherwise, you're like chaff just blown away and carried away. We see that all the time, right? People who are carried away in their faith and just they weren't ever rooted. And he says in all that he does, he prospers. And if we're good Baptists, we shy away from phrases like that because we, we, it makes us nervous a little bit. But let me just take away some of that nervousness. Like he means it. In all that he does, he prospers. He promises prosperity. What in the world does that mean? Well, David Platt calls this, he refers to this as the prosperity of the best kind. And I love that because we tend to qualify statements like that. Whenever we see prosperity in scripture, we tend to qualify. We say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean these things necessarily. Like it doesn't mean that your business is going to be successful or you're going to make a lot of money or that you're going to be healthy or everything's going to go perfectly. Like it, it doesn't mean those things. But what Platt says and, and what C.S. Lewis would emphatically agree with and what I'm trying to make the point of is that the prosperity that is referred to here is better than that. It's not less than that. It's better. It's even greater. It's prosperity in eternal things that last. 
And if God does that through prosperity of your your business here on earth, then it's meant to point to greater prosperity that is given to all who call him God. And if God does that through the failure of your business here on earth, then that is meant to demonstrate how valuable that inheritance and that prosperity is that you're pursuing, that you're happily give up your business here on earth for it. But either way, if you delight in the law of the Lord, you will be blessed. But the way of the wicked will pass away. They'll perish. Temporary riches are just that, temporary. The wealthy man whose eyes are set on the kingdom is not concerned with his temporary riches, but has his eyes set on something bigger and better. The poor man whose eyes are set on the kingdom is not concerned with his lack of temporary riches because he knows he is storing up treasures in heaven. That is good news. That should stir our affections. That should capture our hearts that this is what God is setting up for those who love him, that we are storing this up, that whatever's going on here, we are rock solid in the midst of it because we know what our father is doing and we trust him. And once we are doing that and we love it and we say, okay, well then what do I do? What would my life look like if I believed this? Does my life demonstrate what I say I believe? Like this is so critical in our culture that so values understanding and mental understanding and, and agreement. We miss out on the heart of things and why do we love it and is it good news? And then we miss out on the obedience to it. Like, do I actually live in this way? Because part of what this is saying is we, we either stand in the way of the wicked or if we are rooted in delighting and meditating on God's word, then ultimately we are in God's way in the way of Jesus. Joshua 1.8 is a parallel passage in this. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So very similar language, but being careful to do all that it commands, all that's written in, in it. And there are things that we read in scripture. There are things that we say that we believe. But if we really press ourselves, do we really believe it? Are we really obeying it? Are we really really following that? Or are we just content to say that we agree with it? Like I I would just say, if you are newer in your faith or if you are um, stuck in your faith, like this is one of the greatest ways to kind of give a a boost to it, to, to kind of supercharge it. Is just to obey in faith, to read a passage and to say, look, I, I, don't, I don't think I've understood everything in this passage, but this thing seems really clear. And I, I've kind of thought through like, well, how this is good news. And I thought like, okay, well then how would I respond to this? If I believe that this is actually good news, then, then what would I do about it? And then just go do it. So like, for example, if you're reading Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about separating the sheep from the goats, and he says to to the sheep, he says to the righteous, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom for for you from the foundation of the world. I, I prepared this for you from the foundation of the world, inherit it. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And it says the righteous will say, like, when did we do any of those things? Jesus, I don't, I don't remember ever visiting you. You were in prison? What for? 
Like, they don't say any of that. They, they are, they're asking, like, we didn't remember doing any of these things. And he said, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You can read that. Anybody can read that passage and, and look at it and say, okay, this is how God loves people. This is how Jesus has come to serve the world. And so I'm called to, to feed people and to give them a drink and to go visit them when they're sick or in prison. And, and when I'm doing that to them, I'm actually doing that to Jesus. So if I really believe that, like what in the world would I do? Like I'm going to go find somebody to give some water to, Right? Like, I'm going to go do that now. I'm going to like, I'm going to go figure that out. And I'm going to, when I see someone who's, who's homeless and looks hungry, like I'm not going to see them as a, as a blight, like on our society or as somebody that I need to try to avoid. Like, I'm going to say, okay, how do I feed you? How do I give you something to drink? I'm going to go and I'm going to be the one when I know my friend is in the hospital. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit with them. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to go and sit with them for a few minutes and let them know that I'm there. I'm going to go with, with like, um, there are people that we have here in the church that go to the nursing home and they go and they, they'll lead worship or they just care for people. Like, do you realize there are people in the nursing homes around here who never have any visitors? What would it look like to be a presence there and to earn some trust so that you can say to the staff, like, hey, who, who doesn't have anyone that ever comes and visits them? And then you go and you visit them. And if you believe that when I'm doing that, I'm actually doing that for Jesus. This isn't somebody that, that is like, nobody's going to ever notice and they're ever going to, like, this is Jesus, my king, saying, you do this for them. You do it for me. This is what obedience looks like. I don't know, I don't know what all I'm supposed to do, but I'm just going to do something. And so when you look at this and you look back at it and you kind of recap this, notice, by the way, how the warnings in Psalm 1 also follow this paradigm. Like head, heart, hands. The warning of the head of like, don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. Don't give yourself over to talk radio that doesn't love Jesus. Don't give yourself over to, to peers or to people who don't, aren't following Jesus. Don't listen to that counsel. Don't give your head and your mind your understanding. Don't let them form the way that you think about these things. But let the Lord, let the word of God form the way you think about these things. He says the heart, like that heart, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't give your heart over to that. Don't buy into the, the mocking of people or the dismissing of people or, or the devaluing of people. Like don't buy into that. Don't mock things and be pessimistic and question everybody's motives all the time, but rather fill your heart with a delight in the word of the Lord. And then as your obedience, don't stand in the way of the wicked. Don't follow what they do. If you give your mind and your heart over to those things, then your feet will follow. But if you are delighting in the word, then you will bear fruit in every season, in the right season. Your leaf will not wither. So if you want that, then meditate on his word day and night. Delight in it. See how it is good news. Obey it. Head, heart, hands. I'm going to skip the example and I'm just going to give you homework. So not, not only do I, so God doesn't give you homework, but I do. Um, Mark 12, 41 through 44. I just want you to read Mark 12, 41 through 44 this week and, and just try that. Do it today. Do it as a family. Do it with the friends that you came with. And just 
read it and ask those questions. What do I need to, what do I learn about who God is? What, what do I learn about his nature? How, how, how is this good news? How should this stir my heart? And then what should I do in response to it? I would encourage you in this time, another way of getting into this is jump back into the reading plan. There, I, I, I know I, I, we don't have data on this, but I'm guessing um, that from those who started doing it, like in January, to those who are still doing it right now, I believe the numbers are, um, we've seen about a 94% decrease, okay? Just by judging by normal reading plans. So there's a good chance that you have kind of fallen off the, the train there a little bit. Jump back on. Jump back on. You're starting the beginning of Psalms or halfway through the New Testament. Like jump in and just start reading it and just start saying like, okay, I'm going to meditate on this. Stop making it your goal to understand everything before you could possibly love it or possibly obey it. Just say, God, help me and step out in faith and do it. I was, one time I was meeting with somebody and they, I asked them about their life in the word and they said, you know, I, I, I struggle with that. I, I, I don't do this very well. And I asked, like, why? Tell me about that. And they said, well, I, I've always had a learning disability. I've never really, never really, I, I don't comprehend things that I read very well. I've always struggled. I was never good in school. I never, uh, and so when I read the Bible, I, I just, like, I feel like I, I lost, like, even by the time I get to the second verse, like, I've forgotten what I read already. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. And so then, you know, I hear you preach or I hear somebody else and I just think, oh man, I could never do that. So I'm just going to listen to you. And I, and I just, I pushed back on that and I said, well, no, I, like, I think there's a way for you to do this. Like you, it's not about how much you can understand. Like you don't have to have a master's degree to grow in your delight in the word. And he, and he opened up his Bible and I looked at his Bible and I said, what, what's going on there? He said, well, yeah, I, like I told you, I, I, I struggle understanding things. And so I have to underline everything I read. And it was page after page of every word underlined. And I looked at that and I got, I got a little choked up and I just said, you, you realize that you are doing this better than a hundred people with master's degrees. Like you are in faith saying, God, I'm just, whatever I have here, like you wired me this way. You know, I can't even barely, I can barely string two sentences together. I can't understand or read, remember anything that I've read. I don't know what you're going to do with any of this, but I'm going to read. I'm going to meet you here. I'm going to pray that you're meeting me here in the beginning. And I'm just going to trust God that you're going to show me something and you're going to help me to understand this and you're going to help me to love it. And to, I'm going to just going to sit here and think about what he's doing in that moment. Isn't that just like a child who learns to read in their father's lap and hears them kind of go through each one as they're sitting there? Any parent that has ever held a child in your lap that is learning to read, do you call that a waste of time? Do you say like, for crying out loud, let me just tell you what happens to the puppy. Like, of course you don't do that. You sit and you love it because they're with you and you're walking through it. That is how your father sees you. Every time you open up this book, 
He is not the teacher that's waiting for you to get through the end of the chapter and I've got five quiz questions for you. Answer them. He is your father and you're sitting on his lap. And even if you are going word by word, he is smiling. He is with you. He loves you. And he will reveal all things to you that you may have joy to the full. And the way you know all this is true is because of what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection. And so this morning, we look at communion, not just as this thing that we remember and not just for the forgiveness of our sins, which it is all these glorious things, but it is also how we know that all these beautiful things that we see in scripture are true. Because he loved us and gave himself up for us. That's why I'm so confident that he is a good father who is holding you in his lap. Because he didn't even withhold his own son from you. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? And so Jesus took the bread, the last supper, with his disciples. And he broke it. He gave it to them. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of wine and he says, this is my blood poured out for this covenant, for the forgiveness of sins. If you belong to him, then this gift is for you. He says, take and drink in remembrance of me. Father, we praise your holy name. Lord, we say, hallelujah, Christ is risen. And that resurrection is our, it is our life. That we have, those of us who have placed our trust in you, Lord Jesus, we know we have died to our old selves, died to our own old ways, and yet the shadows of those things are still there. Our flesh resonates with the voice and lies of the enemy that say, that, that your, your word is too complicated, that it's too much, that we have too many other things going on. God, help us to reject those things and to see it as what it is. It is our gift from our Father. It is our way that we can sit with you and read and hear your very words and hear about your incredible promises and hear your, your loving warnings and cautions to us that are meant for our good to love and delight in all the things that we see there so that our hearts would be stirred and our affections for you and that we'd be motivated and we would then go and live this out. Place all of our trust in you. God, help us to approach your word in this way with our head and our heart and our hands fully engaged for your glory and our joy. Amen.